the day of a God that or a man that's sitting there with a long white beard and an angry look on his face, you know, ready to just point and zap people out of the sky and, and you know, lightning rods, all of this. This is not the God that, that we see in Scripture. The devil, he has painted such a nasty picture of God and presented him in, in an unfavorable likeness at times. And I know that's not the full representation of God. There's also uh, a, a, an understanding of God as a God of love. As uh, a God of peace, a God of hope, and He is all of that. But, but there are, there are those who uh, paint this picture of God as being one who He is looking for your mistakes. He is watching and and seeing the the mistakes that you might make, and He will capitalize on the mistakes, and He will make sure that He doles out punishment for them. And this is. This is the perception that some have of the God that we serve, that, that God is, is, is just waiting for somebody to trip up. He's just waiting, you know, perhaps, you know, that, that you might make a mistake and then he'll say, all right, that's it. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it into heaven or you're not going to be able to come any closer to me or you're never going to measure up. That's, uh, that was always the perspective, uh, even, even in scripture of, of men like David or, or Job, these men who they themselves realized that we will never measure up. None of us will ever measure up to God. None of us. It says that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Everything that we could do of our own selves, it really cannot measure up to God. But that does not mean that God is looking for us to make mistakes so he can dole out the punishment. That does not mean that God is just waiting for us to trip and fall. No, God, if we look at the accurate picture of God, we see one who is full of peace and mercy. In James chapter 3, verse 17, it says that the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated or easy to be understood. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It is without partiality. It is without hypocrisy. That this is the God. These are the attributes of the God that we serve. Listen, listen here to one writer's description of the mercy of God. This comes from us. These are lyrics from an old hymn. It was written in 1917. It was called The Love of God. It was written by Frederick Lehman. And he said in this hymn, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the heavens of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man is scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. This is the love of God. This is the real attributes of God. That he is one who has a nature of grace and mercy. That he is one who has an unending love for his people. God loves you. We sing that song as as little kids. If you grew up in a Sunday school class, I'm sure you sang it once or a hundred times. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And little ones to him belong. For they are weak, but he 
is strong. And then it affirms it over and over. Yes, Jesus loves me. Right? Yes, Jesus loves me. Hmm. It keeps affirming it over and over. I think some of us forget that song. Sometimes we feel as if we've made too many mistakes. We feel as if we have tripped up one too many times. And that the love of God cannot extend this far, as far as I have gotten. We feel as though that, that song, that was, that was for me when I was making those childish mistakes. Yes, Jesus loves me and all the little children of the world. Jesus loves all of them. Yeah, it, Jesus, Jesus loved them. But now that I'm an adult, now that I have grown, now that I have matured and I've made some pretty significant mistakes, I don't know for sure that he really loves me. Can I just affirm to you today that just as true as that song was when you were six years old, that is, is tr- true for you when you are 66 years old. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. Jesus loves you today. Jesus loves you. The love of God, it is reaching to the highest mountains and to the lowest valleys today. It's stretching from sky to sky. The, if it was, as it said in this song, if it was as, as the, 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 the All of the things in in heaven were pouring out. There was drain. The oceans dry. The whole earth could not contain the love of God. There is nothing that can contain the love that God has for you. Nothing could contain it. See, there are four things about the nature of God that the devil does not want you to know. Four things that he would love to try to paint over this, these scriptures and tell you that God does not, uh, that these things are not true about the nature of God. But in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, he tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. So jot that down for number one. That the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. So first of all, God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. He is not, he is not slack concerning his promises. Number two, he is suffering to usward. He is, I skipped a word, skipped part of the word. He is long suffering to usward. And I sure am thankful for that. Because if he was just suffering, my suffering may have His suffering may run out on me, but he's long suffering. He is long suffering to usward. He is not willing that any should perish. That's number three. The devil doesn't want you to know that about God. He doesn't want you to believe that to be true about God, that he is not willing that any should perish. But that is the truth of the matter, that God is reaching for you today, that God wants you to come to Him. Now, that fourth thing here is that all should come to repentance. His long-suffering and His willingness that you should not perish, it does have some requirements for you. 
He is long-suffering to you. He is not willing that you should perish. But he, in the fourth end, is saying, you do need to repent. There are some things that you need to do on yourself. But that opportunity for repentance, that door is never going to be closed. And the devil would love for you to feel as though the opportunity for repentance closed for you a long time ago. Now, if you're here today and you don't understand repentance, it's as simple as saying that the way that my life is going right now is not the way that it should be going. And so I need to start heading towards Jesus Christ instead of towards the things that I want to do. That's repentance. In a nutshell, it is changing the direction that you are going, changing the actions that you have to match up to what God is doing and and how he's polling you. And so repentance is that change of direction. So those four things are things that the devil does not want you to know. That the chance to repent, I believe, is one of the greatest of all of God's mercies. Where would any of us be without an opportunity to repent? Where would I be? Forgiveness is the greatest of all of God's blessings. Forgiveness. It's, it's better than any miracle that could be done. Forgiveness is better than him dropping a million dollars in my bank account right now. As much as I would love that. His forgiveness is far greater than any riches that I could have. His forgiveness is far greater than any kind of physical healing that I could have in my body. His forgiveness, it, it, it extends way beyond anything that he could ever do for me here in this life. That he forgave me of my sins and that is the greatest thing that he could ever do. And here's the truth of it, that if you take one step towards God, he has promised that he would run to you. He, you take one step toward him, he'll say four, five, six, seven, eight. He'll come running to you. When you begin to, to step towards him, God is coming to you. He is not far. You call his name and he is right there. You call on the name of Jesus Christ and he will be there right on time. See, these four things, we see them not just in Second Peter 3, 9, but we see these four things come to light in First John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, it says that if we confess our sins, He is, okay, now we see the attributes of God. He is faithful, right? He is faithful to His promises. He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins. He is just, okay? This is number two, He is just. Number three, He will forgive us of our sins. And number four, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the promises and the attributes of God that if we confess our sins, then He will be faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, it should not be the general rule for a child of God to commit sin. But if you do, when you do, you have an advocate. You have an advocate. What does that mean, an advocate? It means that you have somebody who you can go to. He's already paid the price. He's going to come before the judge and he's going to say, you know what? The price has already been paid. That no matter who you are, it doesn't matter if you're 
if this is your first time here, it doesn't matter if you're, if you walked away from God 25 years ago and, and, and you're just starting to make your way back. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are consistently uh, coming to church, but you've slipped up and you made some mistakes. It doesn't matter who you are. When you mess up, get up, get up, get up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Get back up on your feet. Let's keep going. I believe that God has greater things for you. I believe that God is not done with you. In Proverbs 24, 16, it tells us that a just man falleth seven times, but he rises back up again. It doesn't matter who you are. If you fall, when you fall, get back up. The most successful Christian is the one who has learned the lesson to get back up. The one who says, I'm not going to stay down. I'm not going to stay down where the devil is continuing to speak into my ear and tell me how worthless I am and how I'm not going to ever be able to make up for the mistakes that I made. No, I know that I have an advocate with the Father. I know that I have one who's already paid the price and he's going to give me another chance. So tell God that you're genuinely sorry. Repent. Take time to say, God, I am so sorry I messed up. God, I'm so sorry for the things that I've done, but I'm not going to stay here in the mess. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep on going. And you say, you say, well, that sounds too easy. It's the truth of the matter is God made it easy for you to come back to him. He has the door wide open. We're the ones that feel as if the door's closed. We're the ones that feel as if we have to beat on the door until he opens it back up. But he says, you just just come to the door or you just take one step to me and I'm right there with you. I'm searching for you. I want restoration. I want restoration. I don't know why it is that we think that the devil has more, that that, that he is more willing to receive you back than God would be. And we're like, like, yeah, the devil, he'll always just take take somebody back. But but God, I don't know about him. Mm. God, he loves you so much. God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness is extending so deep and so wide. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, I'm going to read this in the amplified version of the Bible. It says, but God, being so very rich in his mercy, because of his great and wonderful love, With which he loved us. Even when we were spiritually dead. And when we were separated from him because of our sins. And it is what happens. When we live in our sin. When we stay down. When we fall. We trip up. There is separation that happens between us and God. Sin separates. Continual sin. Continuing to live in sin. Separates you from God. And when you are separated from God because of your sins, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. Even when you were separated, even when there was a gap, even when there was no way for you to reach out to God and say, and and, and, it felt as if there was no way for you to get back to him. It says, even in that place, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ for by his grace. 
His undeserved favor and mercy. You've been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Because we are in Christ Jesus. And he did this so that in the ages to come, he might clearly show the immeasurable and unsurpassed riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus by providing for our redemption. He's the one who provided for our redemption. For it is by grace, I love this, God's remarkable compassion, his favor that's drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved. You've actually delivered, he's actually delivered you from judgment and given eternal life through faith. And this, this being salvation, is not of yourselves It's not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God. (laughs) Come on, just I I know we had a few little claps there, but could somebody just lift up a hand right now or just thank God? God, I thank you. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. And I thank you that you would come. God, when I didn't deserve it. Uh, When I didn't deserve it, God, you came and you paid the price for my sins. God, you came and you searched me out. God, I'm here today because you searched me out. God, I'm here today, God, because of your grace and your mercy. God, I don't deserve it, but I'm here today because you love me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is such a powerful chapter of of scripture. It's commonly called the heroes of faith. This chapter, it's considered as perhaps the most prestigious chapter in, you know, in in the New Testament or even in the Bible, you know, this, this chapter that, that just lists all of these individuals who had high spiritual acumen and they had biblical honor that was due to them. And, and these 17 heroes of faith who are listed here, it, we, we, we read through them and it's just like, I heard, heard somebody recently describe it as, uh, it, it's the Twitter version of their life. If you're on Twitter, you know, you're, you're, you're limited to just a, uh, just a few short, short words or I don't know, 140 or 280 characters uh, on Twitter. And, and it's, it's like that, that little tiny synopsis of their life. And, and we see that little synopsis of these 17 heroes of faith. And it's interesting to note that more than half of the 17 men and women who are listed here grievously failed God at some point in their life. At some point, Those who get into the hall of fame, God's hall of fame of faith, they made some huge, drastic mistakes in their life. They committed grievous sins. Many of them needed a second chance. So many of them who we would lift up and say, look at these people, look at these individuals. They needed a second chance. You go through these men and these women and you see Jonah. Jonah was a man who was called of God. He was commissioned to go to Nineveh. I've been riding in my van for these last couple of months and my son is so into veggie tales right now and Jonah 
keeps on playing and I hear these songs over and over and Jonah was a prophet and there we go. I heard somebody sing the song. Jonah was a prophet. He was sent to Nineveh. He was sent there and, and, and it was part of this where he's, he hears this message from God to go to Nineveh and he doesn't want to go and he pulls out the map and he says, just take me somewhere. And he says, take me to Tarshish. And they say, well, that's the other part. That's the other side of the world. Nobody's going to go to Tarshish. That was as far away as you could get from Nineveh. Tarshish was as far away as you could possibly get from Nineveh. It was sailing to the other side of the world as far as they knew. And that's where Jonah was going. He said, there is no way I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. Because when people go to Nineveh, when prophets go to Nineveh, they don't come back alive. But God had a message that he needed to send to Nineveh. And Jonah was the man to do it. And when Jonah refused the direction of God and he began to run away from what God had called him to do. Jonah, he felt as if everything was over. See, we see the end of the story. We think Jonah, you know, he's, he's like trying to, trying to, you know, find another way back to Nineveh. He wasn't trying to find a way back to Nineveh. He was trying to kill himself. That's why he said, throw me off the boat. Just end my life right now. But God still wasn't done for him, even when he was in that lowest place, when he said, I would rather you just throw me into the sea. And I'm done. My life is over. I'm done. And God still said, Jonah, your life is not over. I'm going to come. I'm going to bring a fish your way. You're going to get back to Nineveh in three days. And when you get back to Nineveh, the word of the Lord is going to be spoken through you again. And it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The second time, God still used Jonah after he ran away, after he failed God and and, and saying, I'm not going to do what you have called me to do. God's word came to him the second time. Noah was a man. He was a preacher of righteousness. We know him. He built the ark. But he also, after the ark, he got drunk and naked. He embarrassed himself. And, and yet God restored him. God used him. And as, as a man of God, as one of the patriarchs that, that, uh, would, would be, uh, in our scriptures and, and the ones of our, give us an opportunity to see somebody who lived out their faith in the face of adversity. Abraham was a man. He left Ur of the Chaldees. He was this man who was going, he was looking for a city and he went into Egypt and God was calling him. God had him on a mission and he sent him into this place. He said, wherever your feet go, that's the land that I'm going to give you. And he goes in to this one place and he goes and he begins to lie to Pharaoh. He begins lying to, to these, uh, uh, to these rulers and telling them that, that my wife was my sister and all these things because he didn't trust God. He wasn't trusting God to take care of him. And so he needed to do things his own way. And, and so he begins to lie. He made some mistakes. Jacob, we see so many mistakes that Jacob made. The grandson of Abraham, the one uh, who he lied to God, or lied uh, and deceived uh, Isaac, his father, in order to get everything. He cheated his brother out of, uh, out of all of his life savings. Everything that he got, it seemed as though he got it by lying and cheating. But 21 years later, God met Jacob on the place, on, on the road back to, to reconciliation with his brother. And God met him at a place and said, forever your life will be changed. Because you're now not going to be Jacob, but I'll call you Israel. 
And God gave him a second chance. And in that meeting that he had, if you know the story of Jacob meeting God in that moment, who was wrestling with this uh, with this, this man, this, this manifestation of God. And, and in that time of wrestling, this was the change. This is the moment where his life would forever change. It says that his hip was put out of socket. And from that day forward, he always walked differently. There's a different walk that we have when we get a second chance. There's some, there's some things that become a little bit different on how we carry ourselves and not, not necess, not, not to say that, that we're above or, or greater than any, anybody else, but, but my life is now different because God gave me a second chance. I know that it, it wasn't over when I thought it was over, but God gave me another opportunity to live for Him. Moses was the man who, he was, he was the chosen one for the very early age. Moses was the one who he was, he had a miraculous birth. He had, he was, up, uh, had an upbringing in Pharaoh's home and he was the man that also killed somebody. But it wasn't over for Moses. God gave him a second chance. He went and he, he was the one who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt. But even after leading them out of Egypt, he was the one who still uh, made some mistakes. He smote the rock, but God was there and God gave him second chances. God was the one who continually was able to give us a second chance. Rahab was a harlot. God gave her a second chance. Samson was the one who was empowered by God. He didn't just get a second chance. He got a third, fourth, fifth 20th, all kinds of chances because of all the mistakes that Samson made in his life. But God used Samson to do a great work for his people. Even to the very end of his life, God used Samson and and, and gave him a second chance. God is a God of second chances. David was the one who was a shepherd boy. He killed the lion, the bear. He was the one who got up and killed Goliath. He was the king of Israel, but he was also the one who took unto him, uh, invited into his home this, this wife of another man. And, uh, and she, she laid with him and he, he made that grievous mistake and he fouled it up by killing or by sending the man, this husband, to be killed on the front lines of the battle. And, and so here he was, a murderer, but yet God referred to him as a man after my own heart. Why? Would David be a man after God's own heart? It's because he understood that God will allow us to get back up even when we've fallen down. That God is a God of second chances. That God today is speaking to somebody. And I don't know what mistakes you've made. I don't know what failures you're carrying into this place right now. But I do know the dialogue that happens when we have made those mistakes. The dialogue that happens in our own minds. And we start thinking about how am I ever going to make it back? How could I ever be restored? Is there any chance, is there any possibility that I could ever, ever make it back into God's favor? I'm sure that Peter was there. If you know the story of Peter... Here he was, he was the most vocal of all of Jesus' disciples. He was the one who proclaimed, you are the son of the living God. Peter, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. He's the one who rebuked Jesus for saying that, or when Jesus said that he was going to die, he was going to be put to death. And Peter says, no way, there's no way 
what's going to happen. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Stop. He was the one who Jesus began to tell him that the night was approaching and that it would be that night that Peter said, well, I'll be right there with you. And Jesus said, you're not, you're not. In fact, you're going to deny me three times before the night's over. And that night, Jesus was arrested. Jesus was sent to trial. And during that trial, we had Peter sitting around the fire. And this fire is burning, and you have those who are milling around the campfire that's there. And and, G, and, and Peter is just talking, and, and he's trying to just overhear what's going on with, with what's you know, with Jesus inside there. And, and they begin, those who are around the campfire, they begin to notice, hey, hey aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he denies him. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not me. Not me. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that I saw you with him just last week. No, it must have been somebody that looked like me. Well, you even speak like them. You, you have the same accent as, as the one. I, I'm sure that you were the follower of Jesus. Peter denies him a third time. Sitting around that campfire as the smell of smoke is on him. As he's, he's running away from that feeling. that Because then he, he hears that rooster crow. And as he hears that rooster crow, he's reminded that Jesus had told him that he would deny him three times. As he's reminded of that, like you can understand that the, the kind of failure that would set into Peter's mindset. Man, here he is being put to death. Here he is, a good man, a great man. He doesn't deserve what's happening to him. I've always, I've always been his protector. I've always been the one who would be there for him. I told him that I'd be there for him. What kind of a coward am I? I won't even speak out. I won't even, won't even say that I belong with him. Who am I? And all of this guilt, all of this shame that washes over Peter when, when Jesus finally raises from the dead, when Jesus is, is, is back, um, back and, and, and he's, he's had some conversations with his, his disciples. He's met them, but, but what do we see? What do we see? We, uh, where, where does Jesus eventually find Peter? He finds him out on the boat one day. Now that was Peter's old job. That was not Peter's God-designed purpose for his life, to be a fisherman. I'm sure Peter could have been a good fisherman. I'm sure he was. Well, actually, I don't know for sure because he wasn't catching fish until Jesus ever came up. But he was going back to that old life. He was going back to catching fish saying, I I don't think that all this stuff that he invested in me over these last couple of years, I've I've made too many mistakes. I've denied him. I, I, I just got to go back to the easier life. I, I can't do this. I can't live for him. I can't feel like a, I feel like a failure and I can't do it. And Jesus, he came up to the seashore that day and he found Peter out there in the boat. And he says, come up here. I've got some fish cooking. I got a campfire. Peter runs up onto the shore 
He comes to where Jesus is at and he sits around that campfire. It was a campfire where Peter had first felt his failure. It was that smell of smoke, the same smell of smoke that he now can smell now as Jesus is sitting there with him. And he's, he's there and, and Jesus begins to converse with him in conversation, telling him, hey, what you doing, Peter? You're not called to be a fisherman. You're called to be a fisher of men. Peter, what are you doing out there in the boat? I've, I've been investing in you for years, and it's time. It's time. I'm getting ready to really leave this time, and, and, and I need you. And so he asks him, Peter, will you feed my sheep? He asks him, Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, you know that I love you. So he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? He's sitting around the campfire. And he asks him the second time. The smell of smoke there. I love you. I'm feeding my sheep. Get back to the God-given purpose that you have in your life. And for the third time that Peter, third time that Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus asks him again that same question, do you love me? Sitting around that campfire with the same smell of smoke as when he had in, in his time of failure. Jesus asks him this question, do you love me, Peter? You denied me three times, I'm going to affirm you three times. You denied me three times in a place of failure and I, I'm going to bring you right back to that campfire and let you know that I love you and I know that you love me and I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to put you on a firm foundation to be able to go into the God-given purpose that you have for you on your life. I'm telling somebody today, let's all stand in this place. I'm telling somebody today that God has a, God has a purpose for you. And you feel as though you made too many mistakes. You feel as though you cannot get back to what God had called you to five years ago, 25 years ago. Some of you, you've been holding on to these mistakes your whole life. Your whole life and you feel as though God could never really forgive you. I tell you, God is the God of second chances. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. God wants to bring you back and he wants to affirm you and tell you, I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't care how many times you messed up. I love you. I don't care how many times you've walked away. I love you. <laughs> I died for you. I gave my life for you. Don't stay down in the place of your sorrow. Don't stay in the place of your defeat. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to keep you bound by the mistakes that you made. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to keep your mind so wrapped up in all the mistakes and instead can him, allow him to shut out my voice that's saying, I love you and I want to restore you. If you hear God's voice 
breaking through your mind right now, breaking through that voice that's told you that you're not good enough, would you make your way up to an altar? If you could hear that, that voice right now as he's beginning to whisper it in your ear, I love you. I love you. I've got some wounds. You've got some wounds that are deep down. And they've been festering there for a while. And I'm the God of the second chance. I want to heal some wounds here today. I want to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you another chance to, to, get free, to have freedom in your life. I'm going to give you another chance to feel the joy that's been missing for quite some time. I'm going to give you another chance to feel the freedom. You can be set free from the bondage. Come on, there's somebody here today that God wants to give you a second chance. God, I thank you. If there's if that's you right now and maybe you've had that second chance and you just want to come to an altar and say, God, I thank you. God, I thank you. God, I didn't deserve it, but I, God, I'm so thankful for it. Oh, you're welcome to come. You're welcome to come here today. God, I, I'm so blessed, Lord, to be able to have another chance. God, I'm so blessed, God, that you said you are loved. Welcome home. Welcome home.